Welcome everyone. You are in for a brand new episode of HCI's special edition podcast series, Nine to Thrive Deep Dive, in this next hour, where we're going to spend a little bit more time discussing a critical problem or a notable trend in strategic HR. My name is Aubrey Witte, and I'm thrilled to be your host today. I encourage you to grab your cup of coffee or tea and put on your thinking caps as we venture into the land of the gig economy today with thought leader and keynote speaker, Terry Gallagher. Terry has more than 20 years of experience in strategic human capital management, and in that time, she has successfully designed and implemented global and domestic contingent workforce programs for Fortune 100 and 500 companies in finance, healthcare, manufacturing, and telecom, among other industries. So she is well positioned to kind of introduce us to this topic and and share a little bit of her thoughts and trends around it. So Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Aubrey. And I'm sitting here with my tea. Great advice. I'm super excited to uh, talk to the listeners and happy to be here. Fantastic. So I always like to kind of kick off with a pretty broad-based question, but, you know, we tend, Mm -hmm. especially in HR, to use a whole lot of jargon and terms interchangeably. So I want to kind of go to the source here. What does this term gig economy mean and how does it really manifest in the workforce? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because there's a lot of acronyms and terms being tossed around, but gig is really being used today to speak to a pretty broad range of basically non-traditional employed workers. So temporary workers, I'm working in workers and consulting, outsourcing firms, Uber, Grubhub drivers, um, online freelancers, even shift workers. So basically this term is being used to encompass a broad range of non-traditional workers. And it's definitely taking off as far as, you know, being leveraged within the workforce. And I think that there's, you know, from what I'm seeing, there's a lot of clients and a lot of HR specialists and professionals that are looking for a little bit of guidance in not only what does this term mean, but how do we leverage this workforce? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. It's a pretty broad range of, um, of workers. Yeah, I've definitely read a lot of research that um, validates that and also has a couple different stats that some organizations or um, Rancid did some research last year that said contractual basis workers or freelance workers can make up as much as 50% of the workforce by 2019, for instance. Um, LinkedIn said by the year 2020, it's slightly lower. They found that 43% of the U.S. workforce anyway would be made up of workers who freelance. So I think it's definitely an interesting point that it's not just one type of work that gig can Mm -hmm. mean and encompass a a couple different ways of working. Um, But it's certainly something that we see a lot of growth in when we look at the economy and the marketplace as a whole. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, three or four years ago, even the online and the freelancers and the ICs, there's a lot of organizations that were uncomfortable or nervous about using them because of co-employment risk or whatever. But um, the use of technology and just the growth of this talent force, and we'll talk about this a little later in the podcast, but it's really driving um, organizations to really take another look at this talent. And just some stats, you know, three or four years ago, large buyers were not really heavily looking at freelancer platforms. And now 20% of some of the larger buyers are looking at some of these platforms to to bring this talent in. And not just because it's a wealth of talent, but the talent war is real, you know, and anyone in HR knows that 
Um, so really kind of expanding that net, widening that net and expanding their talent supply chain and being creative with their talent supply chain is um, a way to take advantage of this growth. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely not going away and it's only just going to um, at best probably stay where it is. I mean, depending on which analysts you talk to and sometimes they conflict with each other, <laughs> but mm -hmm. at a minimum, it's going to state that the certain, the current growth level and possibly um, just grow, you know, over the next couple of years. Yep. It's an important thing to, to consider, especially as we move forward on a lot of these HR strategies. Mm -hmm. So let me um, go back to you for a moment. So why is this a topic that is of importance to you? And what from your background and your extensive experience in putting together contingent workforce plans um, really drives this as an area of interest? Well, I saw a lot of changes happening. You know, I've played for the big staffing providers for 15 years and, you know, at the C-suite level and managed MSP programs. And I saw a lot of changes happening. First of all, the, the technology evolution has just exploded regarding just the types of technology that are now available to connect um, workers to the employers that want to use them. But then also just a lot of changes around the workforce landscape the growth of the gig workforce as we've just defined it. That's also growing exponentially, globalization of the workforce. And I just felt like the landscape was changing so dramatically. And that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to get in the space and provide something, provide innovative strategies and provide a way for my clients to um, understand these changes in the workforce, but then also understand the, the options for them to leverage these different types of technologies and different type of talent in a way that was going to grow their business. And, you know, being a VP for multiple years, it's really difficult to be really innovative and creative and do crazy things like that. So I thought, well, if I want to go and, and change this industry and change the way that we support our clients, I'm going to go out on my own and do it. And mm -hmm. so we've been up and running for about a year and a half now. And it's definitely a very exciting time to come into the space. A lot of changes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the, the misleading things I hear a lot about the gig economy is, well, it's just people that can't find full-time work or it's just people mm -hmm. that, you know, don't really want to work full-time for whatever reason. And we're seeing that those myths are really sort of being blown out of the water when organizations really double down hard on the data about the talent that they need and kind of where it's coming from. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, how do you um, articulate what is driving the growth that we're seeing in the gig economy? What, what is it that the gig offers that a job does not? Well, you know, that's a great question. And some of that thinking, frankly, and this is not to insult any of the listeners out there, but some of it is a little outdated. You know, I've been in front of clients who said, you know, we don't use a lot of gig workers or contract workers or contingent, whatever the terminology is, because they're just not the right level of talent or they're just looking for a permanent job. And the reality is, in this economy, some of your best talent, particularly in STEM, can only be found in this um, non-traditional workforce. And a lot of there's still people out there that are, you know, working for Uber. I know I do my informal surveys every time I get into an Uber and say, hey, are you guys really happy? You know, why are you doing this? It's not very scientific. Mm -hmm. But the thing that they come back with is that 
I'm hearing it's a way to augment my income. I'm in between jobs. So these people that are out there that are working and, you know, Uber is not meant to, you know, provide full-time income, but it's giving them an option or an opportunity, whereas before they didn't have one, mm-hmm. you know, to keep cash flow coming in. And the other thing, too, is that we are changing as a society. You know, the way we work is changing. You know, people are wanting more life balance. You know, the nine to five working in a brick and mortar building is kind of on its way to another type of um, workforce landscape, which is more remote workers, uh, more flexible schedules. In fact, some of the HR people know this. A way to attract top talent is to provide that kind of flexible schedule. But so there's a lot of social and behavioral changes that are creating what is being called this new industrial revolution, where the way we work is very different. And you know, the the big thing, too, is the big recession or the great recession. They call it great. There's nothing great about it. It was horrifying for a lot of people. But the, there's sort of this, like, people don't feel like, hey, I can work for a company for 10 or 15 years and be safe and have job security. That really doesn't exist in companies today. So people are looking to get out on their own and create their own personal marketability. And not only that, but engaging in this type of workforce, they've got the flexibility, they've got that brick and mortar, um, they, they can work remotely, they can be mobile. And then you look at the millennials, you know, who I think are highly misunderstood. So for you millennials out there listening and have gotten some of that shade thrown your way, I, I don't agree with it, but I think that they just work differently. They want to be inspired. They want interesting projects. They do need feedback, not a pat on the head, but they need feedback. But most importantly, that mobility and flexibility is really important. So it's not the the gig economy is just this thing that's kind of just been put on people. We're driving it. The way we work is driving it. Mm-hmm. And some of your best talent can only be found in this community. Yeah. I mean, that's an important thing to remember. And what I really like about the gig economy, to your point, is that it really is an opportunity that people are sort of taking the bull by the horns, right? They're driving their own career yeah. paths. Exactly. And, and this is one way to do that. Um, and I think that just by sheer volume, we as, as a generalization of people that are doing this and sort of pushing these new formats of working um, are essentially we're, we're prompting organizations that have otherwise been very traditional in thought, very slow mm-hmm. to change. And they're just having to kind of deal with this because, as you pointed out, um, especially highly sought after technical skills like those in STEM, this is where they're at. <laughs> like You're just going to have to exactly. learn how to play ball. Well, and our whole company, Gallagher and Consultants, is completely supported by gig workers. I mean, we have to practice what we preach, right? So my accountants, our lawyers, our back of house, you know, administrative support, marketing, all of them are either gig workers, ICs, whatever. They're very happy. And I can tell you they're extremely well paid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that that's just, it is where we are headed as a society. So, you know, further in the podcast, we'll talk about this, but, you know, then how do we really leverage this talent? And then how do we count it? How do we include it in the BLS numbers and um, include it as part of the, the employed workforce? And that's a whole other um, opportunity. Yes, it definitely opens another can of worms of how we articulate this, how we measure it, how we evaluate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I kind of want to get into next, which is, we know that the gig economy is growing, we know that it really kind of hits at all different um, 
aspects of work from high performers to people who are just looking for something on the side, et cetera. But let's talk about how it actually influences HR and the role of HR practitioners today. So Terry, you've talked about three areas of work within the realm of HR that this gig economy is really influencing. So one would be the workforce data and analytics. The second would be talent sourcing and vetting in those processes. And the third is worker training and retention. So I want to kind of go through each of those in a little bit more detail. So starting with workforce data and analytics, um, you mentioned like BLS numbers and actually having an accurate count on things. How do you see the gig economy influencing how HR approaches this topic? Yeah, you know, Aubrey, that's a great question. And because these workers are becoming a larger part of an organization, um, and because technology is kind of the delivery system for a lot of these workers, uh, HR talent is being, you know, basically asked to look at this workforce landscape and, and look at this technology. And they're really changing. You know, the role of, of HR is changing and the organizations are asking for them to come to the table and go from being, you know, about risk management and handling performance reviews and have a seat at the table for organizational strategy and a big part of that is talent retention and growth. And so a big part of talent retention and growth is being familiar with some of the different workforce analytics and tech platforms that are mm -hmm. out there. Um, you know, they're being used now for workforce decisioning. You know, it's growing. And HR, if they're smart, and they are, they wouldn't be on this podcast. We know they're all brilliant. Mm -hmm. They're embracing those trends and leveraging this talent to look at um, how do we really use workforce data and technology in a way that's smart and helps drive our business? And a big part of that, believe it or not, is something so simple as visibility, you know, even being able to look at and know um, who's in your workforce. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got those components in place often for your perm labor, and then sometimes you don't. But for the ICs and the contingent workers and the gig workers, a lot of times there's just a lack of visibility there. So, it's really about leveraging different um, data and technology platforms. For instance, you've got vendor management systems for contractors who manage the life cycle of all your contractors. So you've got spend and headcount. You've got different RPO recruitment process outsourcing technology players like um, ATS systems like FutureStep. I'm not putting a plug in for them. It's just one of the ones that first came to my mind. I don't mm -hmm. have a value-add reseller agreement <laughs> or anything with them, but... You know, they capture fills and timelines and screening and onboarding and then even taking it a step further. But there's technology out there that looks at the applicant experience and tracks, you know, who is actively engaging with your open positions. They have artificial intelligence bots now that actually look at and can evaluate how many hits you're getting on your site, who's looking at your job boards mm -hmm. um, and then ensuring that you're being responsive and or creating um, a response to those applicants. So there's technology that you can engage for every step of this process. But the biggest piece is having visibility to the workforce, knowing how well your recruitment strategies are working from a fill perspective, and then knowing how your retention strategies are working, and then having kind of that dashboard to drive your business, kind of like steering a great big ship and what's your compass telling you. And a lot of companies are flying in the blind because they don't have this data and technology to even tell them how they're doing or where they're going, mm -hmm. or if their applicants are even happy. Yeah. So it's really about these three different buckets of data and analytics, sourcing and vetting, 
and training and retention, mm -hmm. they all really work together. You can't just do one of those things in isolation and sort of cater it to a gig economy. They all need to be, you know, coming at it from the same angle. Exactly. You know, even um, now there are technologies that make it possible to, you know, connect these HR practitioners, you know, as we talk to a wider talent supply chain. And despite that, I was looking at some stats, which I looked up for this podcast, so it makes me sound super smart. <laughs> um, but I was looking at some of the applicants, and it was a quote of 85% of applicants don't hear back after submitting an application, and 71% of employers claim they can't find a candidate. So something as easy as just um, an, a tracking system that provides that kind of data and visibility, like you got so many hits, mm -hmm. but only 20% were responded to, can change the way that you source and vet talent. And, you know, a lot of people in recruitment or HR, or even in, you know, staffing providers, they see some of this technology is replacing them. And on the contrary, it's not. It's really elevating the role of HR. It's elevating the role of recruiters because it's taking some of this back of house transactional mm -hmm. things off their back and then elevating their role so they can be strategic, so they can build the relationships, so that they can build the relationships within the organization. Yeah, I really and improve the candidate experience. Yeah, I really like that that um, the way that you phrase that elevating the role of HR because I think that one of the other things and and this really spans all of the topics within strategic HR, but I think that there is always this hesitation because technology is so pervasive that a lot of people feel like, well, in order to do anything, I have to adopt all of these new expensive softwares and technologies. And depending <laughs> on where you sit in your organization or the size of your organization, you might not have the resources, you might not have the budget for certain things. So, um, but to your point, there can be fairly simple changes or adjustments to how you look and how you collect data that can have a very big impact on what it looks like when you vet talent or how you evaluate your fill rates. You're exactly right. I mean, HR really is being asked to do a lot of different things and step away from, you know, we talked about those traditional roles and really being able to um, be able to navigate some of these new technology options and manage employee expectations and ensure that the organization has productive and happy workforce. And if you're educated and can leverage them, it can be a really valuable thing. I mean, there's um, platforms now that do 360 um, performance reviews so that they're interactive. You know, and they, they can be done daily. Your workforce can, you know, provide feedback. Um, there's technology now that helps with training and engagement technology, things that really engage your workforce and, you know, help you kind of get these this type of retention and get some of this training and performance review processes on its way in a way that really engages the worker, i.e., this you know, the, the six-month review or the yearly review. You're hearing about a lot of companies just kind of throwing that out the window. Um, I remember as a VP, I hated doing them. You know, first of all, if I tell somebody something after six months and it's a complete surprise, I haven't done my job. You shouldn't wait to mm -hmm. six months or a year to do a review. So there's technology platforms that just allow a more organic and a more engaged way of um, communication and feedback, and particularly from millennials. They want to hear back from you every day. They don't want to wait six months or a year to find out how they're doing. Mm -hmm. So to your point, technology, it's just about elevating what you do, and it's providing you a tool to step into that new role that organizations are asking you to step into. And to your point, it can be iterative 
and it can be a phased approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about, you know, being educated and having people um, that provide these technology solutions really make sure that they take the time to educate you um, and then stick around after implementation. And that's, you know, there's a whole bunch of vetting questions that should be asked when you look at these providers. And I help a lot of my clients with that. So, yeah, and I want to move to some of those providers or some of those different platforms, because you've mentioned it a couple times. Um, what are some of the platforms that are available that you think that people should be know about as they think about how to leverage more of the people that are in the gig economy? Well, there's, you know, there's different ones. The, the What we're just talking about with the um, the reviews, High Ground is a good one. They do uh, the performance reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the, the big providers out there that have, you know, I'm just trying to think of who I would recommend, but, you know, ADP's got some really good solutions out there. Um, there's a lot of good vendor management technology solutions out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be happy to share this afterwards, but you know, there's there's a pretty wide range, and I don't want to endorse any one particular provider. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of HRIS systems out there that are very robust. Um, a lot of HR people are using Workday, so mm-hmm. there's really a lot of different solutions. But the majority of them do provide you know the basic analytics that will at least tell you how your workforce is performing and how you're performing and recruiting and retaining. And then you get into different technology providers, like I said, High Ground, that does the um, performance reviews. And then you've got WISP HR, who has a candidate engagement platform. So there's literally dozens and dozens that, that do this. It's just a matter of, you know, having someone kind of help you navigate but it's pretty amazing what um, technology can do. And to your point, it's just the HR leader is really having to be the one to kind of navigate through that and figure out what are the best platforms to bring on board. Yes. And I think that it's also worth calling out that, you know, the this uh, concept of gigs, that there are now, you know, marketplaces that are popping up specifically for the purpose of mm-hmm. connecting people who are looking for gigs with organizations that are seeking um, individuals to fill project roles or on a project basis, rather. Yeah, definitely. You have Upwork who does, you know, you could get a CAD drawer, you can get um, a graphic designer. It's for people that you don't need them to sit on site and it's just outsource work. Um, I will tell you, Fiverr designed our logo, you know, our company logo. I think mm-hmm. that was 50 bucks when we were first starting out. Um, you've got freelancer.com and work market and all these different platforms that will engage you know, provide these resources directly to you, independent MBO mm-hmm. partners. They will do the same thing and also provide the risk management. Um, and you can reach out to them and or you can have, you know, if you've got an, an internal kind of workforce strategy platform or, or group that manages this, they can reach out to them. But the point is the list goes on and on mm-hmm. for ways to expand your talent supply chain yeah. and leverage these platforms, these digital platforms. So the opportunities are endless. You just need to sort of get started. (laughs) They're really endless and a little overwhelming for a lot of HR people. But the reality is if you've got somebody who's, you know, relatively educated, I do see a lot of them just using consultants. I've been brought in to to help with that. And I'm definitely the anti-consultant consultant. You know, I really go in and and try to get something done quickly for people. Um, And I think that just having someone educated to help them kind of navigate those waters is helpful. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you, you've also got some people internally, a lot of organizations that are willing to kind of just jump in and learn, and they can be very effective as well. Yeah. That visionary HR person that everyone's so grateful to have. 
Absolutely. So turning off or turning from, I guess, the technology component, um, when you think about what leaders and organizations need to do or what you think they should do to better embrace and leverage the possibilities that the gig economy enables, um, what are some of the Mm -hmm. best things that come to mind or the things that come to the top of your mind? Well, I think the first thing is awareness. There's still a bit of a barrier out there around lack of awareness of the talent available and the perception of the quality of this talent and then understanding risk and risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've I've gotten in front of many clients who say, well, we don't use gig workers or contingent workers. We only work with quality people. You know, there's still a little bit of that out there. And so I think the, the biggest thing is just getting educated on the fact that some of the best talent is only found in these populations. And then really being able to, you know, find that HR person who is willing to navigate those new technologies and manage employee expectations and ensure that the organization has a productive and happy task force is really important. Um, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of HR organizations are really moving away from that generalist to somebody who's more of a, you know, special, you know, specialization where that one size fits all approach to workforce management and talent strategy is going the way, the wayside for more HR people that have a specialized, um, basically a specialized approach or a specialized background around, you know, leveraging different types of technologies and or talent management and or recruiting. So getting that deep expertise in a particular component of HR strategy, I think is going to be really important and if somebody wanted to, you know, make a name for themselves, I think just getting educated on some of these different talent supply chains available mm-hmm. and then the technology around it, I think, would be a really good first start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. So when you think about, you know, everything that you know about what the gig economy looks like, how it has an impact on businesses today, how it has an impact on employees and just the the market of candidates in general, uh, what do you think are the downsides to it? And and what can we do about that? (laughs) I think the downside, we talked about this earlier, is that nobody knows how many there really are. Um, You know, BLS, I've had conversations with multiple very famous economists that are trying to count these numbers. So the downside is understanding this population, this exploding community of workforce that we don't know exactly how many there are. We don't know if they're happy. You know, a lot of politicians have jumped on these platforms and stating that, you know, these workers are not being taken care of. They're being taken advantage of. They're not getting benefits. But I think that the, the downside is we need to take a lot more time and effort to understand this workforce and this population and do that diligence. And the, the challenge is, is even being able to count and find out where they are and then what they're doing. So there's that downside. It's just the misunderstanding of the population. And then the reality is, is that, you know, digital platforms and Upwork and Freelancer and some of these other platforms um, that connect you to contingent Um, and IC and gig workers, we'll call them gig workers, you know, they're not going to be able to, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, you still see a lot in manufacturing. They're probably not going to go to a a freelancer or a digital platform because they need machinists to come in and show up. Mm -hmm. But you're also seeing a change in manufacturing where, you know, everyone keeps saying that the jobs are going away, and the reality is that's not true. The jobs are actually increasing, but the profile's changed because there is a lot of AI going on in robotics. So, being able to find the right level of talent is important, and not all of this talent is going to be found on a digital platform. So 
the biggest thing is really just understanding what is the right mix. You know, what is the right mix between what, you know, the amount of perm talent we need or traditional talent, and then what are the type of roles that are best for a gig worker or a contingent worker or a freelancer and understanding that um, a really strong organization is going to have a blended model. They're going to have a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Particularly, you know, if you've got seasonal needs or if you've got, you know, project-based work or if you just have a certain area of expertise that you don't want to hire someone full-time for or you just don't have it, you know, those are some opportunities where you can kind of leverage this um, advanced, you know, talent in these technology platforms and in these talent communities. So I think the downside is it's not one size fits all. It's really being able to understand how to best use this population and then mitigate the risk. You know, I just saw today where um, FedEx actually got a ruling overturned where they were, um, the NLRB was trying to rule some of their workers as um, employees. And that would not be very good for FedEx because of tax implications. And that ruling was overturned. And so I feel like there might be a shift where there's, you know, all, everyone's so concerned about the risk and using this talent. But if you use them properly um, and understand how to use them, it could be a really advantageous source of talent for your business. And we saw even with Uber, they won a few cases. They're still struggling right now, but they were actually able to push back on some of these co-employment rulings. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get political. I don't know what's going to happen with the current president, but he seems like he's very in favor of business and um, looking at how these workers are being leveraged and used, I think are probably going to favor business. But I think there is a huge opportunity to really understand this workforce and make sure that they are being taken care of and that they do have the protections that are warranted, but understand that when they step into um, a flexible economy where they have that freedom and often making more than they're making before, there's certain things you have to leave behind to get that flexibility. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really just kind of understanding these workers and being able to, um, how do we count them? How do we protect them? What part of our you know unemployment numbers do they represent? So that's probably the biggest downside. Yeah, it certainly seems like the theme of our whole conversation is you know, knowledge about what this mm-hmm. means for organizations and also individuals. And in my mind, they really need to play an equal part here, right? If you are a member of the IC, exactly. or if you're a gig worker, you need to understand how this works and what leverage you have and what your expectations can or should be. And um, simultaneously, as an organization, you need to kind of walk in with your eyes wide open about how this is different, how it could be better, it could be worse, dependent upon how your organization is structured and what your talent needs are. Um, but to your point, Terry, it's all about, you know, not walking in blind, which you have encountered with a lot of your clients because they just don't really understand or, or haven't done a lot of homework on some of this stuff. Yeah, or they had a really, really good software solution salesperson that kind of came in and um, did their job and and got the project implemented and then took off. Mm -hmm. And some of that aftercare is not necessarily there. I'm not calling anyone out. I've just come across that with some of my clients where um, they needed a bit more hand-holding, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Great. So, Terry, is there anything else that you would just really love that people understood about the gig economy, contingent workforce, or anything that you hear that you would like to correct? (laughs) in this recording to say, hey, this is really what this is about. 
You know, I think that organizations are, they're opening up to using this workforce. You know, most of the ones that we're getting in front of are very open. They, you know, the talent war, I said it over and over, but there really is a shortage of talent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you looked at the recent unemployment numbers, you know, we're doing very well. So they really are open to using these different types of technology platforms, and they're open to expanding their talent supply chain and looking at these gig workers to incorporate as a as a part of their, their workforce. I think the biggest challenge is just the constant and continuous education and evangelizing that needs to happen and not take for granted that they're going to understand how to leverage this talent. So I think that there's a lot of misperception around the talent. We talked about that, that I've heard the word bottom feeders, you know, for contingent labor in some of the manufacturing sector. I've heard people say, oh, well, we'll just take that job till they can find a permanent job. And in some cases, that's very true. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around um, why this talent is operating in this community and the level of quality and experience that you can get from this talent. And then really just being able to um, look at how do we incorporate these gig workers into our total workforce planning, and then how do we then have the visibility across the enterprise as far as, you know, where the best place is for these workers and how are we doing as an organization? You know, so you talk about the workforce and the data analytics and then the technology component, but most importantly, this is about people, right? Without people, you don't have a company. I mean, they're the lifeblood of a company. So, it's still about people, and it's about how do we find and engage them? How do we, um, once we find and engage them, how do we get the best talent? How do we keep the best talent? How do we have the visibility to who's here? And I think that those are probably some of the biggest challenges. And um, just having those HRIS uh, professionals that are willing to step in the space and learn and look at the different technology platforms and um, engage these different types of workers, they can really take their organization to the next level. And that can be a good thing because most HR people, and particularly those on the phone, I'm sure they're hearing this, is they really are being asked to come to the table mm-hmm. and become a strategic player because talent is just number one right now for companies. And that's what this is all about. It's about talent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Terry, and for talking about this very innovative to somewhat, but very, very critical topic in HR today. We appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And thank you to all of our HCI learners for tuning in today. We hope if you haven't already that you will subscribe to our Nine to Thrive HR podcast, including this new deep dive series, which is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or the YouTube channel HCI Talent. As always, if you're interested in learning more about what HCI is working on and hearing about new trends and topics in strategic talent management, please visit us at www.hci.org.